you can see the goodness of the Lord, experience the goodness of the Lord, walk in faithfulness and obedience to the Lord, exercise the wisdom that comes from God. You can worship him, love him, even write extensively, uh, you know, songs of praise and like all the things that you think, man, that's that person loves Jesus. You know, that person really loves God. And in the end, how quickly and easily you could take your eyes off Jesus and fall away. Welcome to No Sanity Required. From the Ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a podcast about the Bible, culture, and stories from around the globe. Welcome to the No Sanity Required podcast. And today, we're going to be talking about something that is sort of a a mantra or a motivational idea here in the Ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters. It's something that uh, actually going to break this up into two episodes. In the first episode, we're going to look at some lessons from the life of King Solomon. But as an intro to the whole two episode conversation, we're going to be driving at a, uh, at a quote or a slogan, a statement that we use around here a lot. And the statement is take a day off, get mauled by a lion, take a day off, get mauled by a lion. And it's kind of actually morphed into take a day off, get eaten by a lion. But in the story that we're going to look at, nobody actually gets eaten by a lion, but someone does get mauled and killed by a lion. So, um, excruciating way to die. I would imagine, um, if you play the, would you rather game? A lot of times my, I've got one of my little girls will say, uh, would you rather get eaten by a shark or an alligator? And I always tell her, doesn't matter to me. I'm going to kill whichever one attacks me. And, uh, and she always just rolls her eyes, but I cannot imagine getting mauled by a lion. So let's get into this conversation. Um, take a day off, get mauled by a lion. So it all starts and in, in, at least in the way that, that I've thought through this, it starts with, uh, a guy named King Solomon. Now King Solomon was the son of the famous King David of Israel, who's probably the most famous of all Kings. And many people would argue that David's the greatest King the world has ever known in terms of earthly Kings. And, and I would certainly, um, I, I think it'd be hard to argue against that. Even for all of his failures and shortcomings, he was an incredible man and God used him in a powerful way, but he had a son named Solomon. And it's interesting. We're going to pick the story up with Solomon as a young man. He's just inherited the throne, not without controversy. There's been some controversy and conflict. And, but at any rate, he's now seated in a position where, He's going to be the next king of Israel. And he's basically God says to him, okay, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. What do you want? And and Solomon kind of blows everybody's minds. And instead of saying, make my army powerful or give me lots of wealth or expand our borders, which by the way, all of those things happen eventually. But instead, that's, that's not what he asks for. Instead, what he asks for is wisdom. Listen to this from first Kings chapter three. Lord, my God, this is the prayer of Solomon. You have now made your servant king in my father David's place. Yet I am just a youth with no experience in leadership. Your servant is among your people. You have chosen a people too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant a receptive heart to judge your people and discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? So his question or his request is, Lord, give me wisdom. Help me to have wisdom. 
And, and, and that's what he asked for wisdom in governing the people, wisdom in leading well, wisdom in caring about God's people. And listen to what it says. Now it pleased the Lord that Solomon had requested this. So God said to him, because you have requested this and did not ask for long life or riches for yourself or the death of your enemies, but you asked you asked discernment for yourself to administer justice. I will therefore do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and understanding heart so that there has never been anyone like you before and will never be again. In addition, I will give you what you did not ask for, both riches and honor, so that no king will be your equal during your entire life. If you walk in my ways and keep my statutes and commands, just as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon woke up and realized it had been a dream. He went to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, and offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he held a feast for all of his servants. So it was a dream that Solomon had, and in that dream, God came to him and said, Hey, I want to grant you what you wish, and and that is great wisdom. But not only that, because you've chosen to ask for wisdom, I'm going to grant you riches and expanded territory and peace throughout your reign and your kingdom. And so when you get into Solomon's reign in life over in uh, 1 Kings 4, the next chapter, you start to see that, man, this is really coming to fruition. He's got a strong group of men around him. He's got strong priests and prophets, uh, generals and leaders. In fact, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, is in charge of his army, and that was a man who was one of David's mighty men. He's now in charge of Solomon's army. Um, he had 12 deputies for Israel, so he's got a really strong cabinet. They're helping him rule and judge and lead. He's sort of divided the responsibility. He's not on a power trip. He's not all about himself. He's distributing responsibility. He's surrounding himself with gifted people. Uh, I think a lot of times people are threatened by uh, there, there's a human tendency to want to be the smartest person in the relationship or the, the smartest person in the room or the most gifted person or the person that that gets the most attention. What Solomon did was he surrounded himself with really gifted people, with really, really wise people, really wise, with really wise people, with people that had a lot of different skill sets. And that just made him stronger. And it shows how wise he really was. Now, listen to the provisions at the height of Solomon's reign, because what God did is he started to really expand and grow this man's reign and his influence and his essentially his territory over Israel. And listen to this in first Kings chapter four, starting in verse 20, listen to Solomon's provisions. Let me look at my notes here. I've jotted some notes down on all of this to condense it. Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea. They were eating, drinking, and rejoicing. Solomon ruled all the kingdoms from the Euphrates river to the land of the Philistines. And as far as the border of Egypt, so massive land expansion. So picture this, the land expansion now, the borders of Israel and Judah have, have, have gone even beyond what they were under King David. And so all the neighboring kingdoms are subdued. Not only are they subdued, but as we're going to see, they're actually paying tribute and homage to Solomon. So from Egypt to north of Palestine, you'd have to look on a map to see what that looks like, but... Basically, all of Israel and the surrounding territory has been uh, basically established, and and Solomon is is the king over all of that territory. Now, listen to this. It, it goes on into what his provisions are. Solomon's provisions for one day 
were 150 bushels of fine flour, 300 bushels of meal, 10 fattened cattle, 20 range cattle, 100 sheep and goats, besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and pin-fed poultry. For he had dominion over everything west of the Euphrates from Tipsa, Tipsa to Gaza and over all the kings west of the Euphrates. So his, okay, this is one day's provision. So I always think, this is something I always think about, like what would it be like to lead an army in in prehistoric times or, or, or not prehistoric, but early historic times when, you know, like what did they eat? This is why a lot of times these massive military uh, invasions would be, would surround the harvest, the harvest time. So they would come in and attack and invade at a time when there was food readily available in the crop fields. But listen, because food was such food is such a big deal to the stability of a culture or a society. As as I'm recording this, there has been famine because of lo, not famine, but there's been a locust invasion in northern Uganda, and a lot of people are going hungry, and it's completely destabilized that part of the world because of the food source, the decimation of the food source. So it's a big deal how food would have been provided for an administration this big. Listen to this. One day's provision for his administration. This is for the, like the king's palace and administration. 150 bushels of flour. I don't know how big a bushel is, but I guess it's like a bucket. So say say 150 buckets of flour. 300 bushels of meal. 10 grain-fed cows. Okay, so 10 f- cows that have been fattened on grain. Now you think about a cow. That's a, that's a lot of meat. One cow is a lot of meat. I remember watching a guy... Uh, I've, we've, we've killed and butchered cows here, but I remember being in central America one time and watching a guy, we butchered, we killed a cow and then watching this guy butcher it. And he cut every little, this guy was a master of the craft. He saved every little piece and part of that cow. It was, it was really impressive. And there was so much meat left over. Uh, these guys would have wasted nothing. 10 grain-fed cows, 20 pasture-fed cows, so that they would have been a little less fat. They're just on grass, not grain. They bring them in off the pasture and kill them. 100 sheep and goats, a bunch of deer, um, chickens. It was crazy. So that's a lot of food. You can do the math. You can go read it for yourself, First King, uh, First Kings 4. Um, okay, now, that's not all, though. Um, he also had... Um, Verse 26, Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. That's a lot. 40,000 um, horses and 12,000 horsemen. So each each dude's got four or five horses that he's responsible for. I don't know if chariots, I've seen that in movies. I don't know if it'd be like two horses or four horses or what. But anyway, these guys have all got enough horses for a chariot and then maybe some spares. Um. Every man who came to King Solomon's table, they neglected nothing. Each man brought the barley and the straw for the chariot teams and other horses to be required to the required place according to his assignment. So lots of horses, lots of men, lots of people, lots of food, lots lots going on. Verse 29, God gave Solomon great wisdom, very great insight and understanding as vast as the sand on the seashore. Now listen to this. He was wiser than all the people of the East, greater than all the wisdom of Egypt, wiser than anyone. Then it names some some dudes, this one cat, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite, 
whoever that cat is. He must have been smart. And He-Man, <laughs> dude's name is He-Man. That's awesome. So he's wiser than Ethan the Ezraite. He-Man, Calcall, and Darda, sons of Mahal. His reputation extended to all the surrounding nations. And you're like, why is the He-Man thing so funny? It's because when I was a kid, uh, there was a cartoon about He-Man. He's like a barbarian guy. Anyway, uh, verse 32, Solomon spoke. Now listen to this, 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. So he wrote 3,000 proverbs and 1,000 songs, over 1,000, 1,005 songs, which is impressive because think about how hard it is. There's a couple of bands that we listen to a lot at my house, and one of them is a band called the Avett Brothers. The other one's a band called 21 Pilots, and probably a lot of people are familiar with They're very popular, both those bands. But one of the things that always impresses me about the Avett Brothers uh, and the tw- and 21 Pilots is how creative they are in their songwriting. Like, you know, these one-hit wonders that come out, and they come out with one song that just explodes. It goes big. Everybody knows it. Everybody's familiar with it. Uh, when I think of one-hit wonders, I always think of Vanilla Ice because of his song Ice Ice Baby. And some people might argue and say, oh, no, there were many more other fantastic Vanilla Ice songs. And that's probably debatable, but everybody knows Ice Ice Baby. So one-hit wonders. You got the, who are those guys? Um, Chubbawumba. Remember those guys? Chubbawumba. Would, they win the, the funniest, maybe coolest band name. I think they're the ones that sung, I get knocked down, but I get up again. They're like an Irish drinking pub band, I think. Might be wrong. Don't quote me on it. All you music nerds are probably going to bash my lack of music knowledge. But anyway, uh, the the one-hit wonders, you know, they come up with one big song. They become rich. If they're smart, they're set for life, you know, set for life. Solomon wrote 1,005 songs. I'm impressed with the Avett brothers, and they've got, I don't know, 100 songs or something. I'm probably way short on that, but not 1,005 so just shows his creativity that goes along with his wisdom. He spoke about tree. Now, listen, here's the content. He spoke about trees from the cedar in Lebanon to the hyssop growing out of the wall. He also spoke about animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. So he's writing proverbs and songs about every facet of life, big, small, lots of knowledge of science in the animal kingdom and botany and agriculture. That was just brilliant. Emissaries of all people sent by every king on earth who had heard of his wisdom came to listen to Solomon's wisdom. Smart dude. Not just smart, but wisdom that was sought after. Listen to this. This is from chapter 10. The weight of gold that came to Solomon annually was 25 tons. That's a lot of gold. 50,000 pounds. Is that right? 50,000 pounds? I think that's right. Besides what came from merchants, traders, merchandise, and all the Arabian kings and governors of the land. Um... Nothing like it had ever been made in any other kingdom. Twelve lions were standing six steps on each side of his ivory throne overlaid with gold. <laughs> That's like a scene out of Lord of the Rings. All the all of King Solomon's drinking cups were gold. Utensils of the house of Lebanon, house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Once every three years, the ships of Tarshish part of Hiram's fleet, Hiram was a neighboring king, would arrive bearing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. I don't even know what to do with that. So Hiram shows up and they've got apes. I don't know if they're like pet apes or I don't even know, but that's impressive. They caught apes and brought apes. Are they gorillas? Are they chimps? I don't know. 
Are they the ones with the funny-looking rear ends? I don't know, but they've got gold, silver, ivory, which was gold, silver, and ivory. Those were huge currencies, right? And so that's a sign of wealth. Apes and peacocks. I don't know why you would want peacocks other than maybe because they're colorful. Um, I have to do some research on that. He surpassed all the kings of the world in riches and in wisdom. The whole world wanted an audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Every man would bring his annual tribute, items of silver, gold, clothing, weapons, spices, horses, and mules. He accumulated 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen. So it kind of comes back to that again. Um, and then in the building and the construction, it also covers, this is what I was trying to get out a while ago, the construction of the temple, 80,000 stone cutters, 30,000 loggers, and 3,500 supervisors. Okay, so the, the crew that did the construction on the temple, because Solomon built the temple to Yahweh, 80,000 employees who were stone cutters, 30,000 who were loggers, and 3,500 supervisors. Impressive. So impressive. Okay, now here's the point. I'll wrap it up. Got a couple minutes left here. Get to 1 Kings chapter 11, and it says this. Um, King Solomon loved many foreign women in addition to Pharaoh's daughter, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations which the Lord had told the Israelites you must not intermarry with them, and they must not intermarry with you because they will turn your heart away to follow other gods. Let me let me insert something here. This is not a prohibition against interracial marriage. People can marry whatever race of person they want to marry. I grew up being told that that people needed to marry within their race, and this was what was quoted, and that's a lie. Um, it doesn't matter what race a person comes from. Inter, interracial marriage can be such a beautiful thing. So the idea here is these were people that did not worship the same God. These were pagan people. And so the scripture says that as a child of God, someone who follows Jesus as Lord, that I should not marry someone who does not follow Jesus as Lord. And I'd say you could even like tweak that down into don't marry someone that doesn't hold even the same strong doctrinal convictions as, as you. I mean, that could be, that's, that's going to be really complex, but definitely don't marry somebody who's not a believer. Uh, he had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 who were concubines and they turned his heart away. An enormous amount of women that he was surrounded with that, that he had access to just like, I guess, sexually or whatever. He just surrounded himself. When Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to follow other gods. He was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Solomon followed, here's the the false gods, Ashtoreth, the god of the Sidonians, Milcom, the abhorrent idol of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight, and unlike his father David, he did not remain loyal to the Lord. It's so sad. It's such a tragedy. At that time, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abhorrent idol of Moab, and for Milcom, the abhorrent idol of the Ammonites on the hill across from Jerusalem. So he's now not only worshiping a bunch of different gods, he's building idols for them alongside of the place. I mean, this is the man who built the temple for worshiping Yahweh. Greatest honor a king could have had. Probably the greatest honor any king in Israel had. Build the temple that would be the place of central worship for Yahweh. And then now he's building these other like worship facilities, shrines and 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 like idols and monuments to these other false gods, all because of the women who worshiped those gods that had influence. He did the same for all of his foreign wives who were burning incense and offering sacrifice to their gods. So you got all these women offering sacrifices to their gods. They're killing animals, shedding blood. Maybe humans, I don't know, because let's see. 
Uh, I know there was this one God called Mullock. Um, doesn't, doesn't list him in this, uh, in this list, but I mean, human sacrifice was part of worship in Mullock. Um, here's one, uh, the, the abhorrent idol of Moab. Moab was a place that was super dark that was sort of born and built out of incest, just really perverse. So anyway, it says the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel who had appeared to him commanded him about this so he would not follow other gods but solomon did not do what the lord his god had commanded so gone a little bit longer today than normal but here's the thought um and this is part one we're going to follow this with part two so hang around and and we'll 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 cover more of this and sort of the ramifications of it but the idea is this man you you can see the goodness of the lord experience the goodness of the lord walk in faithfulness and obedience to the lord exercise the wisdom that comes from God. You can worship him, love him, even write extensively, uh, you know, songs of praise and like all the things that you think, man, that's that person loves Jesus. You know, that person really loves God. And in the end, how quickly and easily you could take your eyes off Jesus and fall away. And the answer, the answer is super simple. Don't take your eyes off Jesus. Don't quit worshiping Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Focus on on God and his word and love him and surround you. And I think also surround yourself with people who will speak truth into your life and help keep you on the, on the path that you need to be on. Lots of lessons to learn from Solomon, an incredible story that is so sad there towards the end. Um, just mind blowing. See this a lot where people start strong. They live strong for a season and they fall away. And uh, man, God forbid! I pray that I pray that I say stay strong to the end. I pray that for you too. Like, let's let's walk with the Lord by fixing our eyes on Jesus and His Word all the days of our lives. Fix your eyes on Jesus and stay faithful, stay true. He'll keep you. He won't let you fall away. Stay focused on Him. The reward will be one of faithfulness and peace. Hope that's an encouragement and a challenge. And um, I really appreciate you joining and and listening in. We'll pick it up next part of this. Uh, we'll continue in, in this same sort of idea and get to this idea of taking a day off and being mauled by a lion. I'm excited about sharing that with you. So see you next time. Thanks for listening to No Sanity Required. Please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps. Visit us at SWOutfitters.com to see all of our programming and resources. And we'll see you next week on No Sanity Required.